Well, this is the easy Sunday. Next Sunday is not going to be easy. Uh, it is time change Sunday. I think the most ungodly day of the year. They take an hour of sleep from us. So just mark your calendars. Remember that. And my method is do it early. Don't do it late. Pay on the front end and on the back end. Because typically the back end means you're just going to miss church next week. Uh, but pay on the front end and I just go to bed early. And it gives you the excuse to, to keep that hour of sleep in your life. Now, as we've been studying, because you don't want to miss as we continue on through this 10 key moves to make in your in your life. And next week we'll be, we'll be at number nine. This week at, at number eight. And really, this week, again, is one of those that if you're not careful, you'll just obviously skip over it and say, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a thief. I'm not a robber. Thou shalt not steal. No problem. I, it's not my gig. You know, when I think of a, of a thief or of a robber, I think of Bernie Madoff. I think of the guy who can who can swindle people's money, eight, eight, what was it, eighteen billion, something like that, just a, an ungodly amount of money uh, that he, eighteen billion dollars that he through a Ponzi scheme was able to do it. I read an interview just this week that that was conducted uh, by, of him. He said, "I wish that somebody had told me six or seven years ago." Now, obviously, when you're behind bars, and this is what you're going to be looking at for the rest of your life or for a very, very long time, you know, it's easy to say that. Would somebody have stood in front of him and said, hey, you know what, where you're going is going to end you up in a very dark, dingy, horrible place. It's not going to end you up there. But sometimes when we start making those decisions, those short-term decisions get trumped, or excuse me, the long-term decisions get trumped by those short-term sensations. So we have to be aware of that. But as you think about stealing, I think about that. That's not, that's not where I'm going with today. I want us to think broader than that because I wouldn't be speaking to you today if that is you, okay? I'd be, I'm, I'm talking about something a little bit closer to home. But we live in a world where crime is rampant, where theft is there. And what we do is we just grow older and we just become more sophisticated with it. We just white collar it, if you will. But you telling me that our world might be getting better and that thievery is going out in this developed society, then really think about it. I got two emails this morning, obviously unsolicited, from different places that have access to my information. Two emails in one morning saying it's time to change your password. We have passwords, we have paper shredders, we have PIN numbers, we have all manner of things to protect ourselves, our identity, our things, our money from thievery. It's out there. It's very organized and out there. Now, going into our society today, I read this week again, unsolicited, opened up my web browser, msn.com, there it was, number one story in the news feed, was the common crimes of today. Man, and, and, and how unique they are. They, they talked about in the article about how because of the downturn in the economy, what has risen up as becoming uh, major crimes that are out there. And, and you'd be surprised. It's not gold and cash and cars or things like that. It's actually things like Tide, detergent. There was actually a, a, a sting of an operation in Massachusetts that was recently busted because they were stealing Tide. Detergent, all right? Think about that for a moment. And there was also, I don't know, I, I, I can't get my arms around this one uh, or my mouth around it even, uh, but there were $65,000 worth of chicken wings stole in Georgia back in December. 
Now, that takes a whole new meaning to that old uh, commercial that I saw growing up, take a bite out of crime, because that's literally taking a bite out, out, out of the crime there. But uh, also, this past summer, uh, whenever we were going through such a drought here in the Midwest, uh, there was so much robbing, stealing, thievery, if you will, of bales of hay, bales of hay in Oklahoma, that the sheriff's office had to put GPS tracking systems and plant out in, into the public where they could be stole uh, GPS tracking systems in bales of hay so that they could catch the thieves again stealing bales of hay. So there's nothing that, if it's not tied down, opportunistic people will take. You think, my question just None of that's me. I don't even use Tide. I don't like chicken wings. And so I'm not going to be stealing bells of hay. And so none of that applies to me. Maybe not. But, again, maybe as a, as a child growing up, you would have stole three-cent bubble gum from the convenience store, but now you're an adult. You're just a little bit more sophisticated with your crimes. What about all of the music do you listen to on your iPod? Did you buy that? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. It's only a buck twenty-nine, but somehow we we justify this file sharing. Well, that's just a sophisticated way to steal. Think about it: the, the stuff that you own on your computer does it really belong to you? We live in a day and age where we thrive in creativity, trying to get at stuff, free material. We want everything to be free, even our music. Tax time. If you haven't realized that, April fifteenth is coming. If you haven't done your taxes, what do we do during this time of year? We're looking at that and we're beating our desk and our computers and scratching our head. Why is the government taking so much money from me and I work so hard for this? Never mind, it's your government, it's your country that you're taking care of. Your uh, and, I, and I know that they may take too much, but we'll not go there today. We'll save that for election time and we'll talk politics then. But really, think about it. When we go into this tax season, we're looking for ways that we can work it, that we can claim it, that we can exempt it, that we can evade it. Uh, well, no, not evade it, avoid it. Uh, you, want, you don't want to avoid taxes, not evade taxes. But you kind of get into that gray area, and you know what? Maybe I will just fudge on this one a little bit. What about work? You have a reimbursement expense report. You're, you're traveling for the company. Oh, it's really easy just to slide that other receipt in there. And you could probably justify it in your mind, but could you go to the accounting office in your company and say, hey, I'm, I did this and that, and would they give you a full thumbs up? Because if you can't do that, then in essence, you have justified thievery in your mind to say that that mileage, that extra mileage that I put on, on the vehicle or, or that expense that I'm, I'm, I'm getting reimbursement on and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, you find yourself a white-collar, sophisticated criminal. Let's, let's look real deeply into our hearts and be aware of even when we work, how we work, the manner of our work, the focus of our work. Because we're being paid to work, not to be at work. And there's a difference. Gallup did a study, an extensive study across the United States, looking at the work performance, the work quality of people uh, on the job. And this is what they came out with, that 50% across the United States, 50% of the employees are not engaged at work. 
They're not engaged. That means they're talking more than they're working. That means they're standing around the coffee pot or the cooler. Or that means they're taking long strolls. Or that means they're just gabbing about their fantasy football league. And, and really they have a fantasy job because they're more interested in their f football league than they are their job. And, and they're, they're just kind of, they're at work. And yeah, they're going to produce some things out. But really, they're not engaged. But then they found that an additional 20% we're actively unengaged. That means literally they're on Facebook when they should be working. They're having conversations on the phone, on their cell phone, text messaging back and forth their friends, and they are intentionally, actively not engaged on the job. Now you tell me that's not stealing? Because it is. Now let's go back to, again to this Eighth Commandment and let's ask ourselves again, am I a thief? I just want to raise the bar a little bit today and raise our awareness a little bit today. We may not be Bernie Madoff, and we may justify it like this. You know, really, the company's not going to miss it if I add this little extra expense to the bottom line. And the reality is, they probably won't. In reality, you can add a $15 meal here or there, and you'll probably never get caught. And you can even fudge that mileage and round up instead of really be accurate with it. And you can do that and probably, again, never get caught. But is that the point? Is that really the point? Because here's what I want to drive at today in this message is when you rob, when I rob, when I commit this thievery out there, who am I really robbing from? Because the government and your taxes, they may never really know, and they'll, uh, we'll just be deeper in debt, <laughs> all right? They're going to spend it anyway, right? And so the, regardless of it, here we are. But, but what about you? What about you? How does it affect you? Because the way it affects the American workforce, it's interesting. They go on in that Gallup study, and it costs the American workforce $300 billion a year in lost productivity. $300 billion a year because we're unengaged or because we are actively unengaged on the job. So, I, 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 again, I don't want to worry about big business today, and I don't want to worry about government, and I don't want to go there today. I want to talk about how it might rob you personally whenever we, I, you, commit crimes of stealing. Now, whenever we go through this, we've been in Exodus chapter 20. We're actually not going to go to Exodus 20 because I'm going to give that verse to you really quickly. Take your Bibles be finding Ephesians all the way in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be at today. And uh, we'll, we're going to refer back to the Ten Commandments because we know the Ten Commandments. We've been dealing with the Ten Commandments and been breaking them down as ten key moves for our life, as fabric to our society. If we don't do these well, then we, we really muck things up in a big-time way. But... I had a professor, one of my favorite all-time professors, pass away just recently. His name was Dr. Howard Hendricks. And in that process of, of taking classes with him and reading his books and so forth, one of the key things, he gave three key words, three key words to good Bible study, all right? So I would say if you have the space in the front flyleaf of your Bible, these three words you need to write down. Because whenever you're studying the Bible, these three key words are the process, the way that you should study the Bible. The first word is the word observation. 
Now, when you take the Bible and you open it and you're reading it, you're observing a lot, okay? So you read through the text. So let's take Exodus 20, for example. We have been reading through it for weeks and weeks and weeks. We've been reliving the history, the context. He's, he's, the people of Israel leaving Egypt and they're going into the promised land and he's establishing a moral code of authority in, in, in the people, societal order. And he gives them the Ten Commandments for God's people. That's the context. Now, what you do is you get all that through observation. And when you're observing a text, you're smelling it, reading it, sensing it, and all, you're, you're eating it, you, everything you can do to observe and be in the text is how you do a good Bible study. Now, if you do observation well, the second word works out pretty easy. It's the word interpretation. Uh, is, 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 is an easy word that applies whenever you've done observation really well. Now, interpretation means you're going in and you're looking at the phrase and you're looking at the verse, you're looking at the paragraph, and you're really getting into the meat, the nuts and the bolts behind it, okay? Now, when you're interpreting a passage of Scripture, now this is basic Bible study methods, but this is good for the rest of your life, so pay attention. When you do interpretation, you don't ask the Bible the question, and you don't go to your Bible study group and say, well, what did the text mean to you today? Well, it meant this for you and this for you and this for you wrong. The Bible, the text, means one thing. It doesn't mean 50 different things. It means one thing, and you've got to get back to the original meaning, okay? That's where observation, interpretation, but what happens is there's one meaning, but there are many applications, which is the third word, application. So you come to the passage, and you read it, You've read it. You read all about it. You know the context of it. You know what's going on. We've done that with the Ten Commandments. We know what's going on. He's given these directives. Hey, and listen, think about the directives that we've looked at the past several weeks. You shall not murder. All right? That doesn't need a whole lot of interpretation. Don't do it. All right? Uh, you know, you, you, you don't commit adultery. Doesn't need a lot of interpretation. This week's don't steal. Doesn't need a lot of interpretation. However, the application may be different for you than for me. In your world, in your skin, in your life, in the way you're living out your life, you've got to look at yourself really closely and say, am I robbing? Am I stealing? And am I really fulfilling the Ten Commandments? Because if you don't make it to application, then all you do is get a bunch of education. All right? And the Bible was not given for our education. It was given for our application and to live out in our life uh, throughout our life. So that's Bible Study Methods 101 real quickly today. But it does play in here because you and I come to these Ten Commandments and we say, Thou shalt not steal. Well, I don't steal. I'm not Bernie Madoff. That doesn't apply to me. Really? You've got to break down that word steal. What does the word steal mean? It means to cheat. It means to steal. It means to outwit. Now, let's go back to that expense report just a second. Maybe you can slide that receipt in there. Maybe you can dock those miles and round them up a little further. Maybe you can get by with it. What did you do? You just outwitted the accounting department. What if you could sneak a peek on someone else's test and borrow, steal, an answer from them and never get caught? Did you outwit the teacher? Absolutely. Did you outwit the student? Yes, you did. And you also stole. We have to think about our lives under a microscope at this point. Because we are being challenged in Ephesians chapter 4, the continuation of this very moral principle that God has put out there. So I want us to read verse 28. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, 
doing honest work with his own hands so that, underscore that phrase, we'll come back to it, he may have something to share with anyone in need. So I want to come back and I want to ask this question. When I steal, when you steal, when we steal, what does it rob me of? What, what does it cost me when I steal? First thing, robbing, it robs me of my personal journey to godliness. I rob myself of a personal journey inward to a spiritual depth of godliness that God has called me to. Now, when you come to the Ten Commandments, I want you to realize this. You're coming to one of the three times in all of the Bible that God Himself wrote. You do your own Bible. This is a good Bible study for you. You study all the Bible and find out all the times that God wrote. First time, or in, in the New Testament, you find Jesus writing in the dirt when the woman was caught in adultery. You go back to the book of Daniel and you'll find the handwriting on the wall. You find God writing on the wall. The other time I have been able to find, you show me another time where he is, where God actively is writing, is whenever He gave the Ten Commandments, and it says that He wrote the Ten Commandments. My friends, I'm going to say God did not dictate them. God wanted to make sure that mankind got these, got these deep into their heart, because this was the moral fabric of which He was going to be building all society for all the world for all time, so that we would not self-destruct. A book was written recently called Trust, and it argued that trust is the single most important cultural requisite for success. It demonstrates it in the book that whenever trust is broken through thievery, that literally housing markets collapse. Think about it. If you had a rash of thievery in your neighborhood, would you be able to sell your house at the value that you want to sell it at? No, because moral society values trust. A society values trust. It's built on trust. Your marriage is built on trust. Whenever we lose trust, we, we basically we do that when we rob and we steal and we cheat and we outwit someone else. Barna did a study looking at American culture. And it's interesting to notice the generational patterns, how we as a generation are digressing, not progressing, are getting worse in our views and understandings of what it means to be right and wrong. Just take a couple of these lines from the study. Of those acti uh, activities that were considered acceptable by generation, the downloaded pirated online content, seniors, only 22% of them did that. And they probably did it by accident because they can't operate. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the millennials, 70%. 70%. Go on down to the bottom. Look at that last one. The change of a price tag on a piece of clothing in a, in a store just to get a discount, 6% of seniors. That's a moral generation. That's a society, a generation that's fading off the scene, but they understand right from wrong what we do and what we don't do. And one of the things we do not do is we do not steal. But yet 33% of millennials are willing to do that. We have a society that is digressing away from truth and trust and integrity and character with an ever-increasing Sophisticated thievery. And what did I say? I said that whenever, whenever I rob, I rob myself of becoming like God. Think about this verse that we read a few weeks ago, John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, 
and destroy. And Jesus goes on to say, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. And we know from its context, because of observation and interpretation, we know that the thief here is referring to Satan himself. I want you to see that the very title of Satan, the very name of Satan, he is known as a thief. He is known as a robber. And what's the first thing he comes to do but to steal, to steal your soul, your innocence, your, your integrity, your character. He wants to reach into you and pull out something that takes a lifetime to build but one decision to break. Innocence. Taking the innocence of someone else. Stealing that. That is the very character of Satan. And so whenever I go into my world and I justify it in my mind or I, I wash over it or whatever it may be or I get by with it because big business owes me more or government shouldn't take so much, then what I do is I justify it and I take on the character of Satan and not the character of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, we just read it. Let the thief no longer steal. This is the beautiful redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Because everyone in this room, I'm, I'm going to just make a blanket statement, has stole or is stealing time, attention, innocence, money, whatever it may be. We, 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 it's just a part of our nature, our fallen nature. But the challenge to us is to leave that nature. To leave that and to go on. Let the thief no longer steal. So the first thing I rob whenever I steal is I rob my own path and journey to godliness. Number two, is it robs me of developing a strong work ethic. Just the opposite of, of getting is earning it. we got to earn it and then we can have it. But whenever we set ourselves out to getting and that's all that we're about, then we tend to compromise. But rather, he says in verse 28, he says, rather, but rather let him labor. Let him work for it. This scripture makes really no bones about this. I mean, it doesn't mince words. It is straight to the point. God has honor. He values. He believes in a strong work ethic. In fact, he goes so far in, through Paul's writings in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, if anyone doesn't work, he ought not eat. Now, how clear is that? Yet we feel a self-righteousness about handing out food or, or, or something like that. And I'm not saying this is wrong, but let's just make sure if we're handing out clothes and food and so forth that we are not building in a crutch for our society. The best thing we could do is not just hand out the food, but teach that man, teach that woman, teach that child to know how to make food, how to earn the food. Take someone alongside and let them work with you. Build a work ethic into them. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Rejoice in His labor. This is a gift of God. How many of y'all ever wake up in the morning and say, Thank you, God, I love my job. Or you just maybe say, Thank you, God, I have a job. Whatever it takes, say it. And believe it. And then realize that your job is a gift from God. Now, your boss may not be a gift from God. He may be from hell. But God put you there maybe to help influence their life. Realizing our role in this world, not only in our current life and stream of which we live and work, but also what about the next generation? 
Lamentations chapter 3, verse 27 says, It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. That he bear the yoke in his youth. Listen, parents, it's time to stop doing all the chores in the house. I said this a few weeks ago. If you got teenagers and you're still folding the clothes and doing the laundry, you are doing a disservice to your kids. Are you raising them in a hotel or a house? Because in a hotel, they'll do your laundry for you. They'll make your bed for you. They'll clean your room for you. They'll do all those services for you. But if you're raising them in a home, then they add to the, they add to the mix. It is good for a child. It is good for a youth to work. We, we, had, we struggled with this raising three children. Okay, how do, we, how do we teach work ethic? And how do we teach them to have a job? And how do we teach them that not everything you get paid for, and so there's this tension back and forth. So we just basically came up with two words. Chores and responsibility. Chores you get paid for, okay? If we ask you to mow the yard, clean the baseboards, do certain things that are unique or certain things that are more labor-intensive, we're going to call that a chore and we will pay you, okay? But there are responsibilities. We eat three meals a day. We eat clean. We live in the same space. We're all doing laundry. We're all dirtying laundry together. Guess what? We're all going to do laundry together. We're going to put up the, the food. We're going we're to clean up the dishes. We're going to put the dirty dishes in. We're going to do certain things. We're going to sweep the house on Saturday. It's chore day. Or excuse me, it's responsibility. And we are doing these things together as a family because that's life. Teach your children. Teach your children to know how to work and work hard and to sweat, and to feel blisters on their hands if need be. A rabbi proverb said it like this, He who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to steal. Listen, we rob our children when we don't teach them a good work ethic. Not only that, I love this verse, verse 28. Every employer should have it posted in their, in their work. Because he goes on, he, say, he says, Doing honest work. With your hands, with your own hands, man, you're all in. This is you ought to be, and I and I, and I wish I could say it was true, but I, it's absolutely not the truth, because I've had too many business people tell me, and I've experienced it too many times. Sometimes the worst employees are the Christians, when in reality the best employees should be Christians. They ought to be the ones with the highest form of integrity, the strongest work ethic. They're doing honest work. With their hands, they're all in. They're the very best people on the job. You can trust them with the cash. You can trust them with the keys. You can trust them. The sad thing is, is that many times, they're the ones who will rob from you. It's very disconcerting. And we got to realize at the end of our day, at the end of our job on this planet, that the end of it all, who is our, who will give the final approval who will be give our final job review it won't be our boss it will be our lord colossians chapter 3 verse 23 read it out loud with me whatever you do work heartily as for the lord not for men whatever you do he left it he left it wide open government offices blue collar white collar whatever it is that you do do it for the lord let him be your boss let him be the one that you're seeking the approval from. Number three, when I rob, I not only rob myself of a good worth ethic and uh, also rob myself 
um, of what um, was shared uh, in, in, in godliness growing into my life. But number three is that God, when I, when I rob, I rob myself of the joy of generosity. I want to read something to you now. And I'm reading it to you because I want to get it exactly the way I typed it. Thievery is greed in action. Greed is a sickness of the heart where you must have what you don't have because you, because someone else has it. Thievery is greed in action. It is driven by a sickness of the soul. Generosity is the antidote to greed. What we have to realize is that if I have this greedy, hunger, thirsting, never satisfied soul that's longing for more stuff, more and more positions, more and more raises, more and more accolades, more and more things that this world just continues to spill into our world and, and life. Listen, listen, listen. If I'm going to fix the greed and the thievery that will cost me, listen, that will cause me to get on the line and, and to question when I'm paying my taxes if this was an exemption or that was an exclusion or this is, is something I could write off or this is something I can put in the company or this is... If I can start getting on that line and I start just saying, you know what, nobody else knows and nobody else cares, and I'm just, then what I've done is I've just sold my soul. I've just compromised my character and my integrity and nobody else may know it. How do you, fi how do you fix that? You fix it through generosity. Well, that doesn't even make sense, Mike. Because if I'm hungry for stuff, the last thing I want to do is give away stuff. Notice what he said here. It's all in context. Verse 28. So that he may have... Let's read it from the beginning because I want you to see it in context. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing, uh, doing honest work with his own hands so that... That's the purpose clause. Why are we to do this? So that he may have something to share to anyone in need. See, what happens is whenever I realize that things aren't the, the, the focus and I, and I quit that, that greedy, selfish lifestyle that this world is, is in my heart and it just is fed by this world, and I learn generosity, I learn a very valuable lesson in life. That's why we've enjoyed taking our kids to Africa and letting them see poverty up close and personal and smell it, taste it, feel it, live it. Because they come back appreciating every little thing that they have. We've got to figure out what it's going to take to, to stifle that because we have been given... See, the people of Israel even struggled with this. 400 years before Christ ever walked the earth, they were struggling with this. They were robbing from God. Now, listen, I can rob from my kid's piggy bank, and I can rob from that envelope for that envelope, and I can, I can justify some things in my mind, but how, why in the world would I ever rob from God? Malachi chapter 3, verse uh, 8, or, it says this. Throw it up on the screen, guys, there. It says, will a man rob God? Yeah, you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Think, okay, listen, I, get, I could never rob from God. How would I ever rob from God? Who would ever rob from God? Think about it like this. In your tithes and your contributions. Listen, I'm not doing a bait and switch here. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. You saw it in context. You're reading it on the screen. You look in your own Bibles. Because of greed, because of thievery, we rob God. 
of the basic tithe. It's the, it's the most basic system that God has put in place to help us to have value and to keep things in checks and balances. And the beauty of it is, two verses later in verse 10, it says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And there may be food on, in my house. And by the way, that, that food's not just to make us all fat and sassy. That food was then given to serve people, to help people in need. And thereby put to test that says the Lord of hosts, if, not, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Here's a life principle for you. When we learn this generosity thing, God meets your generosity with His generosity. And I just dare you to try to outgive God. It'll never work. You become a generous individual. You become faithful in tithes and offerings. You look for opportunities to give and to bless and to be generous. And you will find that God will come right back around into your life and He will bless you back. Maybe it's not with... A, a, and, and I can't even tell you how He's going to bless you, but He will bless you in His own way. Here's some things that I've learned about tithing and giving. Tithing isn't your favor to God. Alright? You're not favoring God. God, here, you, you need my money. Here you go. Your resources is God's favor to you. Realizing that what you have, everything that you have, everything that you have, your house, your car, your dreams, your, your 401Ks, everything is God's already. Exodus declares it. Haggai declares it. It's all His. And we're just being responsible back to Him. Tithing is my chance to be in on what God is doing. I love it. When I tithe, I get to be a part of what God's doing. Let me give you just a real case scenario. March 24th, we're going to have a baptismal service. And we're going to have 15, 20, maybe 30 people that will go through the baptismal waters. Every single one of them, every single one of them, through some means or form of our church, have either accepted Christ, made that declaration to follow Christ, or making that baptism to follow, you're going to get baptized, they've joined our church, they've been a part of the ministries of our church, they've been touched by our church in some capacity. They went through North Point. I have a, a good friend of mine who just went through North Point and in North Point gave his life to following Christ. We just had some seventh grade girls in our home during one weekend. One of those teenage girls gave her life to following Christ. Guess what? None of that would have happened outside of your tithes and your offerings. And so everyone that will go through the baptism waters this March 24th, I want you to look at them and say, as I gave, I helped make that happen. I was a part of that. So you get to be in on what God is doing as you learn generosity. And it feeds your soul more than stuff does. Let me close by making bullet point statements to what I already said. Thievery is greed in action. Greed is a sickness of the heart and of the soul. Generosity is the antidote to greed. If you will learn to find greed, generosity in your life, you will extinguish the greed, increase the joy. Because you will find that God wants to pour into you as you pour out. It is a beautiful thing. But when we rob, when we become greedy, when we allow these things to take over our life, we rob ourselves. Listen, i got two things for you. Don't rob God and don't rob yourself. Because when we practice thievery, 
We are robbing God and we're robbing ourselves. Mike, hold it here. How am I really robbing myself? If everything I have talked about already doesn't convince you, then let Jeremiah convince you. In Jeremiah 5, verse 25, your wickedness has deprived you from these wonderful blessings. Your sin has robbed you of all these good things. I don't know what those good things are, but I heard it illustrated like this. A guy dies and he goes to heaven. He gets to heaven, sees one guy's mansion, sees another guy lives in a shack. Again, this is obviously a metaphor. But he goes and he says, why did that guy get a mansion? Why did that guy get a shack? He said, because that guy invested in people's lives and I poured back into him. The point being is, what have I robbed God? How have I robbed myself of the blessings that He wants to pour into me? Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, I don't see myself as a Bernie Madoff. Neither do I see myself as a man standing on a stage completely free of robbing, stealing, and cheating. God, I, I pray that everyone in this room will totally examine every part of their heart and life to make sure their integrity and character is in check. To make sure that, Lord, they're not in this greedy, thirsty, hungry, never satisfied world. But they're just chasing it even more. Willing to compromise. And I pray that, Lord, they will, they will realize it's you, Lord. It's all about you. And, and to surrender it all and to just give it all to you and to live all for you, Lord, is what you want. Surrendering it all. So, Lord, help us to sing a song today that may be very familiar, but, Lord, may we live it when we leave here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with